This episode is being recorded out of Shop Talk Podcast Studios in Oak Park, Michigan. For more information, visit www.shoptalkpod.com. Pink suits with hats to match. Big cracker dolls and Cadillacs. You looking for the fattest sacks? This is where it's at. Windows tinted, seats for lyric line. Keep your hands on the burner, cause niggas know that it's money on the Yo, what up, though? It's your man, Jay Johnson, a.k.a. the Tim Foyle Hat Titan, a.k.a. the Conspiracy Realist, a.k.a. the Technology Snob, Steve Jobs Jr., Don't Text Him With Your Green Bubbles, a.k.a. I Only Debate My Equals, Everybody Else I Teach, also known as Juice, because all the hoes say, J.U. Ice, Young Caesar, because you know you can't roam without me, Mr. If You Don't Like Me, Fight Me. I got kicked out of Noah's Ark because they couldn't find another animal just like me, a.k.a. The West Side T'Challa, the new leader of Wakanda. Don't debate me, debate your mama. I am the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. What up? What up, though? And it's your man, Dame Going Wild. The West Side Landlord, the pride of PA. High Chief Dame Don't Fuck Around, the liquor store legend, the corner store conquistador. Your mama's favorite Dame and a David Ruffin of the Shop Talk podcast because you know who the fuck they came to see. Not you, Otis. It's no better than these four letters. Thank God for Dan. It's a Sunday morning. Sunday morning. We never record on Sundays, man. I, I like to go to Club Jesus from time to time on Sundays, <laughs> so you messing up my worship experience. When the last time you been to Club Jesus? 2017. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome back. I watch it, I watch it from, the, uh, from my trusty iPhone. Shop, welcome back, Shop Talk Podcast episode. I cash at my tithes and offerings. One twenty. <laughs> uh, we back. We dropped yesterday, but we back because yesterday was like an appetizer yeah. episode. Because I was. Even, do we do we do we call this one twenty or just like one nineteen point five? Yeah, like this might as well be one nineteen B. Yeah, one nineteen B. Because yesterday, I mean, when we recorded on Friday, like I was literally stuck in O'Hare Airport. I was flying back home from work. My flight had been delayed like four times because of all the uh, you know all the ruckus going on the East Coast. Yeah, you know they. My boss called me from the airport and she was like, "Well, you know, if you like, you can rent a car and drive back home." She, I said, "It's going to take me four days to drive on your dime." I would have said, "Yeah." No, absolutely. well, you got to get back for four days. You know what I'm saying? You got, you got absolutely like, not. If I got to drive myself back home, it's going to take me four days because I'm gonna stop and get a hotel room every three hours. That's what I'm saying. Milky, <laughs> yeah, that's an extra vacation on the company dime. Yeah, or, I, or you can you can fly me back first class or private. Well, first class means there's no hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is that the, the upgrade me for my inconvenience? Oh, okay. Well, fly me back private if you want me back to work on Monday, but I ain't no fucking way I'm driving. No, okay. That that shit wasn't gonna happen. And then you got that special the hurricane hella and then <laughs> hurricane I really plane. And then she don't know I can't run a car right now because my license <laughs> is in a bit of a despair. <laughs> so you had to put me on the ground. Right. Which would really take me four days to get back to Fact. Detroit. Well you better get on the mega bus. That mega bus like fifty that's like thirty five dollars to take you here to Chicago. Motherfuck Lord. the mega bus. When the last time you been on the bus? To go anywhere. Shit. Uh shit. I don't know, fifteen years ago or some shit. Oh, okay. I did. T- I took the I took the Greyhound to uh, Cincinnati before. I, the last time I took the Greyhound, like I didn't. I don't know if I had a. This was this was like young Jay when I had like a whole bunch of gold on and shit. It was like <laughs> running drugs to Cincinnati. <laughs> no, I went for uh, I went to on some family shit. Oh, okay. Well, now, actually, I, my girlfriend at the time, some family shit. 
and she convinced you to get on the bus. We, I mean, how else we gonna get there? Drive. I mean, I was what nineteen, twenty, or some shit like that. Like, I wasn't taking my car out of town. The did you have a Lincoln back then? No, this was I think I had like a AKA. I had the Gray Lex back then. Okay, AKA a Gray Escort LX. <laughs> 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 so in the so everybody in the hood know what I when I say the Gray Lex, it was the Escort LX. Okay, well. <laughs> Nah, but I I wasn't trying to fuck with the bus neither. I'm just I'm thankful I made it back even after four flight delays and them moving. I know my gate four times. It'd be so funny. Shout out to my man D Merritt when we be talking and we be referencing the Gray Lex. Like we never explain that shit, and then people like, yeah, I had the Gray Lex. <laughs> I, I thought him, I knew it wasn't a Lexus. <laughs> like I didn't know you a long time, and I knew you ain't never driving no Lexus. Uh, so yeah, shout out to the Gray Lex. That was a great. Car. As a matter of fact, I had two. Two escorts? I had a 92 escort and a 97 escort. Why are you telling people that? I'm saying in, in when I in 2001, I had the 97 escort, right? I was In my brain, like, that's a brand new fucking car. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Cause you Something four years old. Yeah, because back then you got the like the 20-year-old car. You got a fucking I feel you. probe or some shit like that. But, like, I thought I was the man. I ain't never had no fucked up cars. I mean, I didn't never had no fucked up car. Oh, or really? No, only old ass car. I drew. I had a Cadillac in high school. I had a two two tone Deville. I mean, I had a, a 1984 Grand Marquis, but that bitch was clean. Yeah, I love that vehicle. So was my Deville. That bitch was clean. My tents was there. It was so dark in that. But you, how often you get pulled over? I mean, I got pulled over a few times. This one time, I got pulled over on uh like Dre Road and St. Halen, right in front of the um. The ice cream shop, and like some reason I didn't have my my ID like in my wallet. It was like in the car in the bag or some shit. So he pulled me over like what's your name? I'm like Jason Johnson. Blah blah blah. He's like meet your ID. And I'm like um, give me a second. It's like it's in the back or some shit like that. He's like all right. And he went back and ran my shit. And then when he came back, he like got your ID. I'm like, yeah. He's like, good, because it's uh, four Jason Johnsons with warrants. He's about to go to jail. I'm like, shit. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, these tents are bringing unwanted attention. The on one me. time the Johnson <laughs> juice didn't work, because there's a bunch of y'all out here being criminals. <laughs> I got a, a popular name, fam. Yeah. At one point, uh, Johnson was the number two name in the country. And Jason was the number nine name in the country. So don't run me. To, don't run me. Just, hey, man, I got Jason facts. Okay. I'm happy. Well, here's another did. here's another Jason fact, and ex- let me explain why your name is Whack and my name is the sweetest name of all time. Uh, Jason spells out July, August, September, October, November. There is no other name that does that. Wow. So, <laughs> I am in my my favor during July, August, September, October, November, and December. It's all downhill after that. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. You got a middle initial? I do. It's E. My middle name is Eloicious. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I tell everybody that. <laughs> oh, they so mad at work because they can't figure out my middle name and shit. I mean, what what you hold on to? I mean, when when niggas don't know, I'll be like, well, I'm not going to tell you. and make it, it's nothing special. No. It's nothing weird, but. Jason Ellsworth? Aloysius. Okay. You're going to go with that. I'll figure it out. All right, man. Uh, in the last day or so, did you, catch, did you catch the fight last night? I did catch the fight last night. What do you think won? I felt like Canelo won. When I saw everybody on online talking about Triple G got robbed, I'm like, y'all not watching the same fight. Me, Canelo was it. the aggressor all fight long. Yeah. And he, then, like, Triple G threw some good shots. I'm not going to – He threw like, more jabs than anything. Yeah, the fight wasn't a, wasn't like washed, but, like, when I was, like, going through my – 
you know, we boxing fans. Yeah. So I'm keeping score. I'm going through my rounds, what I think, who's winning the rounds and shit. I had Canelo up like the entire fight. Like, I don't see why people was upset. So I thought Canelo clearly won the first fight. Hell yeah. Like, I literally had it like nine rounds to three or nine or whatever, how the math worked. But like, I thought it was a wash. But people saw it differently because I know people like different things in fights. Yeah. Some people, I like the boxing aspect. I see you ducking, moving, slipping punches, hitting, attacking, or whatever. Uh, so he was on this Floyd shit last fight. So all the build up to this fight, they kept telling Canelo, I bet you won't stand there and trade with him. I bet you won't come forward. I know you don't run, don't run. This was um, Triple G's trainer, which I hate with a passion. He's a racist too, by the way. Um, like an actual literal literal one. But he was talking all this shit about what Canelo won't do in this fight or what you won't do, and I bet you won't do this. And then he came in this fight and did it. Like, so I think that actually helped the judge. Like, well, damn, you've been telling this man he's not going to stand in front of you. He's going to run around. And he stood in front of you and traded fight. punches. Yeah. Like the whole fight. And he took punches. Yeah, and took punches. Canelo got a chin, though. Yeah. Triple G is no slouch. Like, I wasn't mad at the fight either way. Now, I will say I'm not interested in seeing a third one. I'm not. I'm I'm cool with these two. Uh, you see your man talking about he coming back to fight Manny? Uh, yeah, I did. I don't want to. I don't want that to happen. Like, listen. I don't want to see another. I don't want to see Floyd and Manny again. Well, this is the thing. Like, Floyd is my favorite fighter of all time. Like, that I've seen in my life, rather. You know what I'm saying? Like, he is the greatest I've seen in my life. Better than Mike? Mike Tyson? Iron Mike Tyson. Like, the skill of boxing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, absolutely. But Mike Tyson, uh, Floyd Mayweather, Roy Jones, and Shane Mosley at the time, and they were all undefeated at the time. This has been my, that was my top four. No but, Pernell? Pernell's a, he was little before my time. Okay. I, you know what I'm saying? We've we seen Pernell fight, but. Fair enough. We, I like, I was starting to like boxing. Yeah. Like, Pernell was at the end of his joint, and I'm seeing all this. Like, Pernell's the greatest. So they say Floyd's the greatest defensive fighter of all time, right? You got to watch Pernell in there. Yeah, he like, didn't take a lot of punches. He on the, he he literally like on some um what's the shit when you the be, Matrix? No, nah, they got the little pole and you got to go underneath the pole. Like Limbo. Limbo. He like playing Limbo out there with punches and shit. But uh, long story short, Floyd dog, it's boxing, right? A lucky punch can happen. A motivated judge can happen. Like, you can't dip your hand in the cookie jar that many times. Like, no. I just, I, to me, Pacquiao's washed. Pacquiao was always overrated to me. But every fighter has a fighting chance to Facts. win. Like, I just, <laughs> dog. You just don't want to see him get, sl- he dropped his hands this one time and Manny rocked that jaw. No, you, don't, you won, fam. Like, no one has ever won like this before. A black man. Come in the game, make the most money in the history of the sport. Walk away undefeated. Everybody who want to see you lose, you 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 won. You, you beat, beat everybody, and yeah. you won at the top of your game. Beat more world champions, more former world champions, titles and wake like the whole nine. Fam, walk off into the sunset. Like I want a, I want a victory, a certified victory in my lifetime. Like, hey, remember when this happened? I don't want the the Roy Jones against Antonio Tarver oh, too. Man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want that, dog. It's hard for boxers to walk away because you had that fighter's mentality your mm-hmm. your entire life. And then you got that ch- you got a permanent chip on your shoulder. And then when a the nigga say, I'm going to give you a nine-figure payday to beat a nigga that you you clearly better than, and then you beat him already, it's just that the fact that it's boxing is going to take one punch or motivated judge. 
You know what I'm saying? So I don't knock you out. We go to the scorecards and they're like, yeah, man, we, we want to see you lose. Like, I don't want no blemish on this this record, dog. Yeah, yeah. I just want Floyd just to chill out at the crib and just be enjoy being rich. Enjoy being a billionaire. You know what I'm saying? But but I said it like a few weeks ago. When do you ever have enough money? I think you got enough money. Mm. Like, t- the whole goal. I've of- never had a billion dollars. I like to think in my mind, that's enough. But then... Like what if I want to buy some shit? Like, like what? What, what like, if I want to buy some shit that's two billion dollars? Like, like I need like more what, money. Like what are you gonna buy that's two billion dollars? A bigger yacht. You can't even swim, nigga. <laughs> 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 the fuck you going out in the water for? Like, I mean, cause cause I got a, a four hundred million dollar yacht. Now I need a billion dollar yacht. Like I don't know what enough money is. I'm never gonna sit here and say, you know what? I'm good. I got enough. I can do this forever. Like I. I don't know what that feels like, and maybe that's what Floyd is going through. You, you are a, a nine-figure payday is a lot of fucking money. That's a lot of money. I mean, it's an <laughs> it's a lot of money, <laughs> like hundred million dollars. Right, right out all them zeros down on a piece of paper. That's a lot of money. I'm gonna give you literally another hundred million, two hundred million. You know what I'm saying? Dollars that's that's a lot. This one night. That's a lot to turn away from. That's literally going. He's going to. Cross with that fight, he will literally cross over a billion dollars made in the sport, and that's that's not counting like all investments and different things. He got I really thought LeBron would be the first billion dollar athlete that we saw. No, it's already Floyd. I mean, I'm just saying in my mind, I always thought it'd be LeBron. I know it's Floyd now, but well, I mean, technically, LeBron got a bill from uh, the undisclosed amount for that lifetime deal from Mike from Nike. When it's all said and done, that deal is gonna be worth a billion dollars. Is that enough money? Like, are we gonna see LeBron play till he's forty four? Like, he, he gonna play until his son gets in the league with him. So that's another five years. So I don't want to. I just hope that he continues to play at a high level. And the only thing that I'm also worried about with Floyd and we athletes, we say it all the time: Father Time is undefeated. You I can mean, you cannot run from time. Pacquiao and, older than him. I mean, yeah, he older than Pacquiao, rather. I'm sorry. Yeah, and and I don't care how much of a good fighter you are, how much at the top of the game, how much you condition yourself. Eventually, the body starts to break down. You seen Floyd Mayweather versus Toro Gotti? Yeah, which is like arguably like one of his best fights, master yeah. performance. Yeah, it was all over after that. Like he said, like my body physically has broke down, and like I just been, and that was what. But the way Arturo Gotti fights, like, your body is – you're going to break down. Yeah, what I'm saying is he like, my body – you know, he broke his hands every fight and shit. Like, I've been just willing off skill, and my mind is better than everybody else since then. And that was, what, 2005? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the mind is that great. Uh, but, you know, this week, uh, actually, we got a special guest in the building. Um, this week, I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, but uh, family in the building. Actual blood, blood family. Yeah, blood family. One of my cousins is in the building, and uh, we're going to have a really good conversation today uh, about some of the good things he's been doing. We should have caught some of that convo we had before we came on air. <laughs> I got a little bit of it. Okay. Um, so, let me introduce yourself, my brother. Uh, yeah, so uh, David D. Harris um, is, uh, you know, my name given to me, birth name, uh, the second, actually. So I'm actually a second, not a junior. Some people think that junior and second yeah, two is different the same. Things. And it's, two different it's things. It's not the same, you know. So I'm the second. Um, definitely had uh, been mixed up with my pops so many times in the same way. Um, uh, Jay Johnson said his name is kind of popular. I didn't think that my name was popular, but it is. You know, okay. like 
stuff that got mixed up with my pops so much. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mill, um, you know, credit score. I mean, you name it, Absolutely. man. Just like all types of stuff mixed up, man. So my name is is decently popular um, as well. So yeah, my father and my brother and my nephew all share the same name. So it's like three generations of uh, Dwayne Johnsons running around here. And uh, that mail can get confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you don't put the, the junior, senior, junior, the third on there or whatever, like that mail can get pretty confusing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so how you been, brother? How's your week? Uh, I've been good, man. The, the week is, is uh, I mean, I was just talking to my wife about it today, like this morning, man. Like every second is accounted for, man, with all of the things that the new things we have going on. So mm-hmm. uh, just to, you know, share a little bit about my background, my, my story is just, I'm a, I, I say I got a full-time gigs, right? So uh, first full-time gig, full-time husband. Okay. You know what I mean? We've been married for three years. Beautiful. Um, yeah, man, thank you. Just celebrated our uh, third three-year anniversary Congrats. Okay. Um, on September 5th. Mar- marriage um, is a full-time job, and people who are not married don't understand. I'm divorced myself. Okay. But people who, right. don't, who are not married don't understand that. Like, yeah. it's not a... It's not like your regular relationship where your boyfriend or girlfriend go home at the end of the day. Exactly. This is 24-7, 365. 365. And that's that's the interesting thing, too, about marriage. Even when boyfriend and girlfriend, like, stay together, right? They live together. It's not and the then, then they think when they get married that it's just going to transition over smoothly. Hell no. <laughs> it doesn't happen. It's night and day. So just it's be, night and day. Yeah, marriage is like a, it's a different thing. It's a great thing, but it's different. You have to prepare for it, counsel for it. When you are married, still counsel for it. Facts. You know what I mean? And even like in our community, in the black community, you know, we kind of look down on that, or on the counseling thing and, and getting help and all that. But if you need, you know, assistance, you need to keep talking to people to keep keep your marriage going or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's necessary. You, you need it. So, you need it. Yeah. Me and my wife, we, we did premarital counseling. And even after, since we've been married, still, you know what I'm saying, from time to time, do a little counseling here and there, yes, just right. so we can address certain things, love languages. Yeah, you know, facts. We, we didn't know about none of that stuff. So I'm coming home, got in, you know, I done paid the bills, I didn't, uh, you know, uh, I didn't cook, you know what I'm saying, tonight's my night to cook. Right. I didn't uh, took out the trash, and yet, you know, you still... You know, have something to say, but it's because, it, it's because I didn't uh, rub her on her back when I came in because her love language is, or yeah, it might yeah, be physical yeah, yeah. touch type thing. So, and then you yeah. you look at it when you get married, you know, you've lived, let's say, 30 plus years of your life as one person living your lifestyle. She's lived her 30 years as her lifestyle, yeah. and y'all trying to merge your different views and values together. Man, Man that's funny, though, the love language and stuff like that. My parents told me uh, they laugh about it. But, like, when they first got married, you know what I'm saying, they're young. My mama had a certain idea. Like, my dad come home at, like, 5 o'clock every day. Food would be on there. she have a bath water in, everything. Like, clockwork. Boom, 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 boom. And then, you were, then like, one point was like, like, I don't want to get in the bath. As soon as I get home. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But she was like, oh, I thought this was, like, I got the water ready. I got yeah. food on the table. Like I thought, this was like I what I'm this supposed was, to do. <laughs> you yeah. like, no, I don't want. I want. I don't want to eat right now. I don't want to get. In, I don't want it tough. You know what I'm saying? So they laughing. You know what I'm saying? Years later, they, they laughing and joke. I'm like, but when you what? They got married at 18 and 19. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, you don't. You learning yourself and learning other people, man. man That's very, yeah. That love language and you you learning yourself and I, going back to what you were saying, Dame. Like it's. 30 years or two, if say you in your 30s, even if you in your, 20s. your 20s, 
you have it I've heard it described as two worlds colliding, bro, because it's like you gotta think about not just you and your spouse, like the families as well colliding. Like that has to and it's like two worlds colliding. Some pieces break off, right? When you see two worlds collide, some things break off, people yeah. break off family that you was cool with, break off and all that, and then whatever messes together, that's your marriage. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what messes together like and the uh, world's coming together. Two literally two businesses that are merged yeah. and I got processes and I got processes over here. Yeah. I may have different um people I hire on this side, like, yeah. well we don't we don't want them people no more yeah. or whatever. And it's literally and that's literally for my in my uh vision because marriage under the state of Michigan is literally two businesses yeah, coming together it is a, a to do contract. to to do, do business. Yeah. And you mentioned one thing, like when you marry somebody, you ain't just marrying them, you taking their family with that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you'll never know what like that's always a crapshoot. Yeah. You'll never know what you're gonna get. Yeah. But but either way, man, it's like I said, I I, I love my wife, man. I I feel like she's definitely the woman, you know, that I pray for without a doubt, man. She's uh, very supportive. You know what I mean? Um, supports my dreams. It's like, you know, to have that type of person, you know, like by my side is, man, it's been like exactly. an unbelievable thing so far. It's so, beautiful. Um, full-time dad now as well. So I just had, we just had our first son. Okay. Um, he's eight months. Welcome now. to the game. Yeah. You, you sleeping all night game. yet? Man, I, I was for a minute and I thought I was good, <laughs> right? So I was sleeping. He got past the four or five month stage and then he was starting to sleep eight to 10. So I'm like, okay, cool. And now, like the last few days, no, I say like the last few weeks, he's been waking up again at 12, 3, and 6. And I'm like, I thought this was over. <laughs> I thought this was over. What's going on? And so now I think it's like, okay, he's he not eating enough solid foods during the day type thing. So yeah, now we got to make sure we stuffing him with the with the solid food so that he can um, sleep throughout the night because mm-hmm. that milk is just going through him now. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And my, my wife breastfeeds or whatever. But that milk is yeah. is going through. It's him. Not so enough. he needs that. It's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough no more, man. So fatherhood, man, is is great too. Um another full time job. And it's just for me, when my parents, you know how our parents used to always say, like, you'll never know mm-hmm. until you apparent yourself. Like I feel that now more than ever, man. Yeah. It's like it's a it's different just level so of true. love. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a different level of love, a different phase of your life. And that's like I thought when I got married, okay, like that's a phase. Now fatherhood, parenthood is like a whole different phase, you know, yeah, for me man. that that I love. But it's just like transitions that you didn't see yourself really doing mm-hmm. when you a teenager or you in college, you know, or you know, you don't even think about this stage or this phase of your life. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So, so f- full time father. Yeah, full time husband. Yeah. Um. Also, full time teacher. Okay. Um, I teach middle school at. Um, God bless you, yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> teach middle school students um, at uh, University Prep okay. Middle School. Um, I've been doing that for this is my fifth year actually, so I've been teaching for five years. Um, I didn't start off at U Prep actually. Um, the first school I started out like fresh out of um, uh, fresh out of Wayne State is where I got my master's in, in secondary math education. Um, I actually started at Central. Okay. I started at, I started at Central, <laughs> and uh, this was back. This the was Gladiator like, School. Yeah, I will see y'all laughing because y'all already know it's because so Central is crazy. It's crazy, <laughs> man. And see, the thing was with Central, that's when they first did the EAA 
project. That's what I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it. It's like an EAA school project. What does that stand for? EAA was um, Educational Achievement Authority. Okay. I don't know when y'all remember when they had like certain DPSs. So the cast and Renaissance and all those were like the regular schools or whatever, and then they transitioned some some other schools. Central being one of them, I think Henry Ford was another. Yep. Then they were That's the EAA school. Getting school. Like tech at the end of their name and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah they started to do that. And uh, I, even um, Cody was doing that. I remember when it was like three? It was like three, three different, different schools, schools within yeah. Cody. So that's when that started, and it was just a, a failed project or whatever. And they was paying, they was putting this dollar amount out there that was attractive, right? So the dollar amount they was putting out was attractive to a lot of, you know, people coming out of um, Teach for America or like a fellowship, like myself. I did a fellowship. And and that dollar amount was attractive, but you know, it was a whole different ball game that I was used to because I didn't go to a public DPS high school. I, okay. I went to a DPS as far as like up to fifth grade. Okay. And then my parents took me out, and I went to well, I went to another DPS school, but it was like a one of a special school it was a Detroit Academy for Math, Science, and yeah. Technology. And then after that, I went to UAD Jesuit in the seventh grade, and I was there since. Okay. So going to Central was like, dang, like, okay, this is a reality check. Like, it's man, like lean is, on me. <laughs> it's just, just like it. Man, what's crazy? You know what I'm saying? Just like it. Uh, I was talking to somebody who never went to a DPS. They sure went to, to Southfield Public Schools, and I was like, damn, I've only went to a DPS. Like, I've never had a, a different experience in uh, from K through 12 where, like, so it was like 95%, 98% black people, black students. In the middle school, it was wild in the middle school. Like, it was dangerous in middle school. <laughs> like, it was literally wilding in middle school. Though. See, my journey was a little bit different because I went to Catholic school from kindergarten all the way to eighth grade. Oh, okay. I, I, was, I went to St. Mary's of Rufford. Ronald Grant, I know a little little known day in fact. Mr. Catholic school, Mr. Uh, Yeah, I went. I went to Catholic school. Yeah, I'm 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 still I'm I'm still Westside relegated. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm still official. Okay, you understand? (laughs) It's still stripes on this tiger. Okay, (laughs) but uh, I I went I went to St. Mary's of Redford, kindergarten to eighth grade, and you know it was time to take that test. To go, you know, figure out which high school I was going to. And I had a chance to probably go to DePores or somewhere else. Like, I was decent at football. I, I probably had a chance to go somewhere else and, you know, do that shit because of, you know, my Catholic school education. But I decided. We're going to talk about this at a later time, by so, the way. <laughs> so I'm going to put it out here because I never told my parents this shit. This is like some shit that I just kept to myself. I had my god brother at the time. He went to Cass. And he said, just come on out to a game, sit with my girlfriend. She's going to take care of you. I went to that Cast Tech game. I seen all these 16, 17-year-old girls, and they looked like grown-ass women. I was like, fuck whatever they talking about <laughs> in the Catholic school league. This is where I need to be. Shout out yeah. to Cass, man, because I love I, I love attending there. Yeah, 8 to 1. <laughs> eight girls to everyone. I said, this is where I need to be. And we yeah. got eight floors of this? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's and that's all I was thinking, and uh, that was my first like when I first walked into 
public school mm-hmm. after all that time and you know, I was already used to wearing a uniform. I didn't go I I didn't know you could wear your own clothes right, right. at school. Like that shit was a huge culture shock for so, me. So you like ninth grade. First day yeah. cast with your shirt tucked in? No, no, I, I showed up fresh. <laughs> I showed up fresh first day of school. Book bag on your back. I was not a fresh in. first day of school. Yeah. All right. But then. just but just like just know that we're gonna visit this this. That's this that's fine. Thing. That's it's it's my life. It is what it is. Like I don't I don't hide it. I just don't necessarily advertise it. But like when I showed up to cast, it was a complete culture shock. Yeah. Like I didn't know I could walk out of school whenever I felt like it and wasn't nobody gonna say nothing to yeah. me. Like skipping, like when I discovered skipping, I was it was like a drug. Nah. It was chasing the high. And and that's what I'm saying. So it's like as an adult, see, so, so imagine as an adult, you getting that shock, right, going to yeah, the classroom right. and you like Kids right, walking kids. out of class. Yeah, they walking straight out. As soon as you introduce yourself, all right, you know, hey, um, I'm Mr. Harris. You know, nice to meet everybody. Um, I'm your new Mr. master. Harris. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh man. So you didn't, you know, that that to me, I'll just, you know, it, you, you got to be a seasoned vet, man, to start off in that type of situation. So I was, uh, I was at Central for one quarter, <laughs> one quarter, man, and after that, um, you know, I, I ended up getting a position at at uh, U Prep. I mean, it, I'm but, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, it's a jungle, I'm you know. Shit. But I, I had always look. Th- this is another thing too. I, I had originally always wanted to do middle school though, okay. because to me. I felt like you can, I can mold a middle school young male because that's part of the reason why I got into education too. Because I wanted to do my part yeah. as helping these young black males, you know, get to the next level. So for me, I was like a twelve and thirteen year old. I can kind of, you know, you still listening, yeah. but but to me, like the high schoolers, some of them man is they they was doing the same things that I was basically right? paying bills, taking care of their families you know, hustling, whatever they was doing. So it's like, well, what, what really can you tell me when I'm I'm basically an adult just like you? Yeah. So for me, a middle schooler was like, that was an age group I felt like, okay, I can still, they'll still listen. I can still mold you a little bit. I can still motivate you or push you in a certain direction. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I, so, I remember I had a partner of mine, almost a similar situation, my homeboy Rod. He's an administrator now off at a university. But when he first started, he fresh out of college, he mm-hmm. went to like River Road schools his okay. whole career, and he started teaching at Cody, and he was a sub at Cody. What year? Uh, shit, Rod was he was teaching while we were still in high school because he a couple years older than me, so he might have been at Cody like like ninety eight, ninety nine, right around that area. I ended up, I think I went to Cody in like ninety nine. Yeah. So, so my homeboy Rod was at Cody, and he was like basically like his first month there, he said something to a student, you know, trying to put him out of class. Yeah. He said the young boy played football. He said he turned his back, you know, writing up on the chalkboard and all he heard was like desk wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> the young nigga rushed him in front of the class. And he said, you know, he had to muscle him and get him down. But when you're yeah. 17, you playing football, like you got a little weight yeah. and a little strength yeah, on you. Yeah. He said he had to hold him down until yeah. security got there. And right. you still yeah. got to save face because if you get your ass beat in front oh, of the class, man. ain't no coming back to teach. Ain't no coming back. Yeah. No. And and that was during, and you said that was how long ago? Shit, about 20 years ago. Right. Okay. So that's 20 years ago. Right, so let's say now, right? Every, oh, everybody pulling out this. So there, if if you, you know, what I mean, if something happens, see with teachers on World Star yeah. and, and yeah, yeah, getting getting banged, <laughs> right? Know? So 
uh, and me, I'm you know I've been a 150 pound frame <laughs> for like the last 20 years. I've been the same size since I was 13. So um, you can't let him run up on you, Mister Harris. No, you can't. <laughs> and we only had what? I think watch out, Mister Harris. Here you come. <laughs> we only had one security guard on that floor. I think when I was at Sunday was on the second floor, and I think we just had one security guard uh, per floor. Mm. You know, whatever. So, um, but yeah, wild. man, that's. That's that's another one. Of my I didn't think about gigs. I didn't think about them phones, man. Like you said, twenty years ago. That was twenty years ago. It wasn't a but huge now, deal. <laughs> you be on World Star before be lunchtime. On World Star. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we got husband, father, teacher. Um, yeah. So um, husband, father, teacher. Um, I'm also a uh, a doctoral student um, as well. Not Wayne, so I'm getting my doctorate in uh, okay. uh, educational leadership and admin. Um, you know, just as a way to try to help improve uh, the education system, the public education system, which I think is failing, to improve it at a, at a bigger level. Because in a classroom, it, it's not happening. We right. don't, I just don't have enough clout, enough pull to really affect anything outside of my classroom. And so... Um, What's your ideal position? What would you... Uh, well, my ideal position is really two tracks you can go. So one track is if you, in a, you, know, you get your doctorate or whatever, you can go down... And be like a superintendent, right? You can you can be what they say is like in the field. Mm-hmm. The other track is you can work at a university, you know, and do research and and uh, you know, every all of the research that you're doing is changing policies and things that they're doing at the district level, or whatever. Okay. So that's actually more so the, the track that I want to go down. Okay, is more so to just kind of do research. And change things that way, um, and, and not to say that either way is right or wrong. Like there, there's both pros and cons of both. Right, right. Um, but for me, that's that's kind of where I want to head. Um, so, um, but yeah, doctoral student, and then of course, um, also new author, um, and, um, and you that's know, what's up? That's yeah, what we're new, be talking about yeah, today. Yeah, new author and, and speaker as well. So those are my two two new things that I'm doing, and. Um, yeah, a lot of, like I said at the beginning, a lot of things going on, and I'll I talk about that. Um, yeah. uh, so, what's the name of this? Uh, what's the name of the book? The name of the book is called More Than a Village. More it's than called More Than a Village. Yep. And uh, you know, in the book, um, I really, as far as the title, it really came down to me. Really, I was tired of kind of hearing that that same figure of speech that it we takes always a say. To raise a job. It, yeah, I, I get tired of hearing that, man. And I know it's a, a, just a figure of speech, but all villages are not created equal. Matter of fact, just don't even use the word village anymore. You know, I mean, we have villages. That's more so when you can walk over to a neighbor's house or you know over here, and you can learn philosophy from that neighbor. You can walk over there and then learn spirit. You know, something about spirituality, or walk yeah. over here and learn something about social science but we that's not how our neighborhoods are structured anymore right you know you don't even know your neighbors you don't even know your neighbors you hey how you doing if that right some some uh neighborhoods where it's predominantly black communities or you know projects you lock in all you lock in seven locks to keep people out of your house so where is really the village aspect of certain things when you know all villages are not the same like in, in in certain urban areas certain black predominantly black communities Liquor store on every corner, right? Gas station, um, libraries closing, you know, um, you know, a lack of resources. But then you go over to some suburbs, you got um, schools that might be performing in the top 10, 15 percent. You got world not, world class libraries or you got resources. There's resources in those in, schools. Yeah, resources in those schools. And so 
it, to me, it takes more than somebody's unique village to really be successful and raise a child. So that's that's where the title came from. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, so how long have you been wanting to write a book? No, uh, not long. Never. Okay. Never. I mean, it was it was never something I ever thought about. Right. So I always been a decent writer. You know, like I was, you know, English and writing class I always did well. I was always like being an A student. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I was younger, sometimes I would and my mom can tell you this. I used to just jot down and do my own little stories like in those little composition books. Mm-hmm. It was nothing I would turn in, but I would just be writing like little stories about the neighborhood or something like that. Right. But um this the the route that I chose to go down as far as education, it just kept pushing me in the direction that I was wanting to go in. Like first, I wanted to do physical therapy because my dad was a PT, mm-hmm. whatever you know about my dad. So it didn't work out right. I, as soon as I took uh, as soon as I took genetics and anatomy in the same semester, <laughs> flunked both of them. It was a wrap, you know okay. what I'm saying? Got got weeded it's not out. Gonna work out yeah. <laughs> got weeded out real quick. And so that was a wrap on that. Then I changed the sociology major, right? And um didn't even know what I wanted to do that. I just knew it was an interesting subject. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, I like studying. Sociology people. was like one of my favorite subjects in college. Yeah, it was like this is interesting. We actually talking about people, you mm-hmm. know, um the study of people and that's something I like doing or whatever. So that's why I went into it originally and I was thinking, well, where can I go from there? Thought about law. Right, so I'm like, okay, I'm going I'm to do sociology, pre-law. So constitutional law, man, I fall asleep every day in class. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That didn't work out. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not feeling this, I always feel this like type of class. I could be a lawyer. Somebody just got to do the research. Let me yeah, make the like, argument. Let you argue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, let me argue, yeah. which they do have. Yeah, they do. You got trial lawyers. You got yeah. people who just... yeah. Hey, give me all the information yeah. in this case, and I'm going to make a dog-ass argument yeah. based on it. Like that movie, uh, Roman J. Esquire was like that. Remember, like, yeah. before his partner had died, he uh, Denzel's character was the one that was in the office doing the paperwork. Mm-hmm. And then his partner, I forget Let's his go name. Go to court, yeah. Yeah, he was the one doing the show. You know, the personality, the basically. Exactly, yeah. So then um, maybe if I had known that back then. But <laughs> either way, how, where I'm at right now is where I'm supposed to be in as far as writing a book, man. Um, when... When I first had my son, right, I took a paternity leave is what happened. So I took a paternity leave for three months, um, unpaid, but I, I took the leave or whatever. And you need time to bond with him. I, yeah, and, you know, I know that's is not a thing necessarily where fathers can have the luxury to do all the time or I, really want to do. I took it with my kids. I'm yeah. taking it whenever I have my – Yeah, I ain't coming to work for a while. It, it's – it's the best thing I ever did, man. It really is. I, I would tell any dad, man, as much, as much times you can take, take it, man, because you the the way for your, like you said, for your son or daughter is like to know you. And and you and mom can leave for hours, even if she's breastfeeding. Like my wife can leave for hours, you know what I'm saying? If she gotta do her thing and he can be with me and he's comfortable, not like, you know, where he's like crying or I don't I can't do or it's out of control type that he knows me and and if you spend time with your son in those first months, that's how it's it gonna be. It makes a huge difference. It's gonna make a difference. So um, y'all know, like I was saying, I'm up nights, up two a.m. Can't get back to sleep. You know, just up, and uh, I just kind of started to have, you know, like a almost like a dream. And I don't know if you look is you know you go back to certain, you read certain Bible stories, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, they say God came to them in a dream, yeah, and they yeah. wake up, and then they like, you know, if it was Joseph, Jonah, whoever is like, 
then they come out and they start writing something, you know. That's kind of how it was for me. You know, it's like just thoughts of writing. So I'm up, start writing, little stuff. It was connected to more than like being a father and just, and next thing you know, it turned into, you know, two pages here, five pages, 10 pages, and I'm writing without thinking. And that never happened before. Like before, if I was writing something for school, it's like I'm, I'm struggling yeah. to get a page, you know, two pages. Yeah. But when I started writing the book, man, it just started flowing. And it was like I was I enjoyed doing it. And that's how. That's how, how long did it take it. you to write the book? Um, so I took the I took the paternity leave. It started in January. And then um, I was pretty much done with my first draft by um, by like the end of April, okay. early May. So about four to five months it took me. And that was like me writing every day, you know what I'm saying? I was writing consistently like it was like it was one of my, you yeah. know, like a real job, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Did you yeah. self-publish? Um yeah, okay. yeah I'm self-publishing, yeah. Good. Self-publishing. Cuz ownership. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um man, that's that's extremely dope and a lot of people um that's not the same process for everybody. Every, right. Some people like, man, it took me 2 years to write this. Yeah. So that's how I know that uh, essentially, this was placed upon you, and this was supposed to come out. So yeah. when you wake up in the middle of the night, and let me get my pen and pad and start writing. Yeah. Uh, sometimes a lot of us from our community will get that, and we're like, well, let me get this microphone, let me get this freestyle out. Yeah. But I think that ain't what you're supposed to be doing, right? <laughs> and think, but think about how many great writers who ended up being rappers or whatever because of because that's just how it was. I mean, we rap, you know what I'm saying? We did the thing, but like, what if you picked up the pen and put those thoughts into actual sentences and mm-hmm. paragraphs and then short stories and then long form? Like, we got a lot of people who put music and different content out who are great thinkers. Like, what if you applied yourself just a little bit further and put that information into a, a deeper topic? But you know what? When when we were talking before we went on air, when you talk about schools, curriculums, the, the ideas that you come up with, a lot of times we're not pushed into that direction. We yeah. see we see the easy way out. If I can I can hoop, I can rap, I can run fast. Yeah. That's the easy, that's the quickest route for me to get out. But it may be becoming an author, becoming yeah. a poet, you know, researching, standing behind the camera. That might be your alternative yeah. to get out of the situation that you're in, but kids don't really have exposure sometimes to some of those options. Yeah, yeah for sure. Now um Via social media, man, I see that you you post uh, a lot about family values, Absolutely. and I know that's a, a, a staple, um, and I assume that's a staple in the book as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much what the what the book is all about, you know. Because for me, um, you know, to to find a little bit more of a balance, you know, uh, within our communities, and not just in the black community, but this is across the U.S. Right? We people is just trying to find balance, right? Trying mm-hmm. to find the right way to raise their children in a forever changing um modern day America, right? Things are changing by the second. You know, what was what's what's might work the previous day, the next day something changes, right? right so right. um for me it's like it always goes back to what is your value? Like what what is the things that you value and the things that you learn to value, you you you're gonna get it from your family. That's like that's the origin of where it starts. Regardless of what your family structure was like, so you have a couple different family structures, right? You got traditional, mm-hmm. which is how I, how I was raised with the two parent yep. household. Both of my parents married, still married, mm-hmm. right? Then um, 
you have sort of the non-traditional families, which is, you know, which I, I that's mostly families now, which is a, the blended family, right. step-parent or grandma, granddad raising yeah, a yeah. kid or, um, you know, uh, even people that are not married, but they're raising kids. So that's that's more like what the norm is now. And then you have like the alternative family. So alternative, you know, foster care or, you know, a streets, you know, raising the streets, gang, whatever. But that's family. Yeah. Uh, it was like a quote by Snoop just saying, like, all a gang is just a family. Like, it's not nothing bad. It's just a kid looking for somebody to belong to. And you're going to learn what to value when you are with that family. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, big thing, you know, value education was when I was being raised. Um, for other people, if you are, you know, you raised in a situation where you're struggling, your family's struggling, you're going to learn to value money, yeah. you know. And you you go back to a lot of people that was raised poor, but now they're like billionaires, whatever, right? They always they kind of go back to, okay, I really didn't ever want to be struggling for money. Yep. And and eventually they get to that point where they're like, they're going to value money. And then find out like, okay, it's not everything that I thought, right? It, it gives me what uh, a lot of things I can buy and purchase, but you know, you don't, you're actually not putting your value in uh, the actual money per se itself. You're putting your value in hard work or mm-hmm. you're putting your value in, um, you know, helping people and stuff like that. So oh, that's why a lot of people that end up having so much money end up doing what? Give giving it, it away, away, right? Becoming a philanthropist anyway. So um, I just really feel like in order to help young people be successful is really what I'm aiming for is, is like the, the, adolescent teenage is what I'm really aiming for. I feel like learning and changing the values at some point um, is really the key to a lot of kids getting to that next level and the exposure as well. So yeah. if you value um, mentorship, right, which is probably, you know, like you guys getting started on y'all, on y'all podcast, like at some point you got to talk to somebody that's done it, yeah. right? Like somebody, mm-hmm. I don't care if it's for a minute or, you, you, somebody's your mentor for a year. You got to talk to somebody that's done what you're doing, and and I don't even know if a lot of people growing up really know the value of mentorship. And so, um, I talk about all these things kind of in the book. You know, I don't want to give away too much, but talking about there's certain things that you just have to value or tell a kid to value to get to that next level. I know for yeah. me, like mentorship was something that was, uh, I want to say like life changing for me. I grew up in a more traditional environment. Both my parents were married up until the point my mother passed. Mm-hmm. But I remember I sort of a, got adopted into a mentor when I was probably about 19, 20. He's mm-hmm. a, a businessman in the city of Detroit. And at the time I wanted to, you know, have my own successful business. Mm-hmm. I just thought that, you know, I could hit the ground running. I'd be, i make my LLC and I'll be out here. I'll figure yeah. out the funds yeah. and see what happens. But, like, when he kind of brought me under his wing and showed me his story, his struggle, his business, ups and downs, you know, he told me very plainly he wasn't successful yeah. until he was damn near 36, 37 years old. Yeah. Like, he was working two jobs, one in the gas station and, you know, delivering Coke and Pepsi products. And yeah. I just thought – you know the the once I decided in my mind that I wanted the business, the path would go one way, and I didn't understand the the ups and downs with it. Yeah. And and with him being with him, you know, exposed me to so many other things that I didn't know were possible yeah. at that stage in my life. And like it for me, it was life changing and eye opening that you know I could you can start from humble beginnings and yeah. still 
be successful. Just because you went to college or took a traditional route does not guarantee your success either. Man, it's so, that mentorship is so important, man. And I didn't necessarily have or – I mean, growing up, like my dad, like when I need something, I need a question or something, like I yeah. just looked to my father as my role model. But as we moved, uh, when we were working with the corporation – uh, we was working at Comcast, you know yeah. what I'm saying? We move into leadership. That was like my first um, point where I actually got a mentor to help me transition from just being Cause a, you regular, don't know. a regular employee to uh, in a leadership capability. And uh, a, a, a black male helped me do that. You know what yeah. I mean? And I'm like, well, look, man, I was in your position before. These are some of the things that I had trouble with. Let me give you some heads up on some tips that you can use so you don't fall down Definitely. just to avoid that thing. Um, right now, and I know I think you, you possibly touch about uh, touch upon this in the book. And when we were talking off camera, I was kind of said like you kind of like a, a unicorn because you like a black male teacher, a black straight male teacher. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we don't have a lot of black male role models in like in a professional, um, in professional jobs in general. Absolutely. Like, I, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I'm glad you just asked me that because that's that's what I wanted to touch on for sure. Is um, you know, the thing about a black male, right? Most of the times, and particularly when it comes to writing a book. Or, or really telling your story in general, right? The things that are attractive for people to hear is is right, like those those started from the bottom type stories. I started off um, selling dope. Yeah, I went yeah. I went to jail, or my mom was on crack when she had. You know, like those are the stories where it's like, you know, pe- get a lot of attention, right? right? And people really open those their eyes. Like even for myself, when I read somebody's story, like, I'm like, wow, you know, and you you became successful after you all of that happened, but it's also beneficial to to hear about the other side as well, you know, to so that certain upbringings can sort of be, you know, a model. And, that, you know, some people will probably come to me and they joke around and say, and you, you know, spoon fed, right? And it's spoon fed story, you know what I'm saying? You have both parents spoiled, right? And automatically, I remember it was a, a bar back in the day where, where Lloyd Banks was one of my favorite artists back then. It was like, if you grow up with your mother, with your mother and your father, you spoiled. Just off rip, you know, and so... I'm spoiled in motherfucker. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And that, and that was, I don't know if that's right, the perspective of most people, but it's like in certain situations, people do look at, okay, man, like I, I don't really want to hear much because you, you got it easy, but I think it's beneficial to to hear about the bad and the good stories. And that's why, in my opinion, like I wanted to continue to put out the, the material and put out the book because that that may have been something to stop me. Like, oh man, I'm not sure if, you know, people just want to hear a good story. But most of the book is a feel-good story about, hey, how 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 my parents kind of molded it together, which they didn't plan. You know, if you ask my parents, you know, with both, uh, with all three. So people look at me, but it's all three uh, of, um, it's me and my brother, two of my younger brothers, all three of us made it out the city. You know, grew up on Selma, made it out the city, all graduated from college, all had professional jobs. And so most people will look at my parents like, okay, what well, what y'all do was the blueprint, you know what I'm saying? They tell you nothing was planned. It just happened to, to work out that way through them instilling certain values in us. And then, you know, 
from that point on, I felt like I needed to tell a, a good, a feel good story. And there's absolutely no blueprint when it comes to raising kids. No, not at all. <laughs> like not at all. you don't get an instruction manual. You got to yeah. kind of figure it out on your own. Yeah. You're gonna make mistakes. Yeah, you're gonna have your successes, but you know you 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 got to figure out the path for your child. Yeah. You know what you didn't have in life, yeah. and you want to try and give your child the better. Yeah. And and give them give them the things that you didn't have access to yeah. or couldn't get on your own. Yeah, for sure. And that's and that's the main thing that my parents did was like, okay, because they grew up and you and you know this Jay, like you yeah. know my mom's background was you know from some tragic you know what I'm saying tragedy. Her 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 mom passed when she was uh, like seven or eight years old. You know what I'm saying Christmas um, morning. Yeah, Christmas yeah Christmas morning. She woke up to her mom gone. You know what I'm saying. And after that point. Her dad was pretty much alcoholic, you know what I'm saying, and, you know, just coping or whatever. And, um, you know, he passed away when she was a, a teenager, you know what I'm saying? So she was pretty much raising herself and being raised by her older sisters and older brothers. And um, that just really rocked her family, you know what I'm saying? So her mm-hmm. upbringing was, you know, was rough. My dad was more of a traditional upbringing, you know, with his parents married or whatever, more a little a lot more stable mm-hmm. and everything. Um so but all they tried to do for us was we gonna try our best to give you guys what we didn't have, anything as far as resources, we just gonna try to pour it into you and that's all they ever did. And so uh you're right, there's no blueprint on it. This book is not necessarily a blueprint or anything, but I'm just sharing my story and I think it could really help people. I mean it's important too, man, to know that everybody don't have to have the worst possible outcome for the story. Like, you don't have to go through trauma in order to make it. Like, it doesn't have to be, man, I was homeless, I was this. Yeah, that sounds good in the story, but if that's not your story, live your truth. Like, so what about the regular kid who didn't sell drugs, but I still ain't get the Jordans? (laughs) Like, like, you know what I'm saying? I have both my parents. That don't mean that I I could, you you know what our budget was for shoot? $60. Whatever you can get yeah. out of Foot Locker for sixty dollars, you can have. You know I mean, what I'm saying? Like that's that's just what it is coming up. You as a child, you're you're so closed off from what your parents go through. Facts. They they appear like larger than life figures yeah. to you. Yeah. But you know, now me being a father, I'm a regular ass person. Yeah. Like I got ups and downs. Some sometimes I got hella money in my pocket. Sometimes I'm I'm putting quarters together to figure <laughs> out how the fuck I'm gonna make it from day to day. Yeah. But 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 as a child, you're never you're never privileged no. sometimes to your parents' struggles and they they try and save face too. They they yeah. regular people trying to figure it out. I look at it like my pops had me. My parents were like 27 and 28 when they had me. Okay. I was 22 when I had my son. So, I mean, there there's a huge gap and a disparity, and you're literally growing up and trying to figure out life, number one, with a spouse, and then with another little person that you're yeah. responsible for. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, like, as parents, like, your kids don't know when it's a bill pass due. That's some shit you never going to inform them of. Right. No, you never. know what I'm saying? Like, they may, you may think everything is all good. Oh, I had the great. You don't know what's going on. Yeah. You don't know who calling in and they taking the call upstairs because, of, like, you don't know they what's going no on. They ain't got no clue to DTE <laughs> <laughs> on my ass. And the lights, like, the lights might flicker on Thursday, but I'm going to figure it the fuck out. I, I'm glad y'all brought up both of those things as far as um, bills and then uh, you were saying with the $60 budget, right? So similar thing, right? Same type of budget. Well, we, You know, we can walk in a Toys R Us, right? And we can, you know, pick out something we want. You know, they, okay. 
didn't really get the J's and all that, like <laughs> ever. Yeah. Until until like we until we started getting to high school. So both of my brothers, my younger, they went to Cass, right? So they started getting the gear a lot more than than me. I was a hooper, right? So I played basketball and football. So this is wearing jumpsuits, Nike all the time. My dad would dress me up in Rydell's. I don't know if y'all remember them shoes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pump, you know, the pumps. Like, yeah. whatever shoes he was wearing, I was wearing. Reeboks, yeah. you know, and I didn't even want those. I wanted the J's. So I was just wearing whatever shoes. He bought his 10 and a half, and he bought me my, my 7 and a half, 8 and a half, or whatever. So it wasn't until I got to high school, I was like, I started to, when I seen the 11s. Those are the J's I fell in love with, oh, right? Man. The 11s. Yeah, them, them the, was the my black ones. And yeah. those, those my ones, too. So when I seen them, I just fell in love. I just had to have them, right? I was almost asking them, like, every day. And I don't know what made him give in, but, you know, he did. Probably because, again, like, okay, maybe he couldn't grab Jesse. He had to wear whatever shoes he was getting. The first Jordans I bought was some 12s. And I didn't get, like, when I got to ninth grade, well, after ninth grade, I got a job. So I had a, I've, been, I've been working since I've been 14 years old. And it wasn't until, as soon as I got a job, we're not buying no school clothes anymore. No like, this is your responsibility. So my gear changed when I got a job and I was paying for it. So when I, and I wish I would ask my mom for some joy. It's like, <laughs> it's not happening. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But I was a uh, 12th grade, ninth grade, I got some, um, I got some 12. So this is what happened, actually. They, she bought me something for Christmas or something. Something happened to them and I returned them. They gave me a store credit. And I had braids at the time. And my mom actually paid me to cut my hair off. <laughs> she paid me to cut my hair off and shit. And, so, and you, you you scooped that money together. Yes. And then <laughs> so I got them fucking 12s. Like, absolutely. I thought I was the man. I'm like, this is the feeling that's going to continue. And I got me a fucking job. And then I started wearing, going to uh, Hutchins. Every every paycheck can give me a Nautica shirt. Look, man. Yeah. Slowly but surely. Boom, boom, yeah. boom. I worked Next at the thing. mall. My first job was at the mall. And when I tell you, my, my checks never left the mall. <laughs> like, they were spent there. I ate at the mall. I yeah, shopped at the yeah. mall. And at I came home court. broke. Yeah, yeah. In the food court. And I came yeah. home with gear. That was it. Man. My money never left never left the mall. Yeah. Um, but, you know, going up through different things, man, um, I'm sure you see uh, – middle schoolers who come in there and they got like real, real life problems. Um, Some of them are diagnosed with different things. Some of them Mm -hmm. are not diagnosed and they have to somehow deal with the trauma and that they actually are going through. And some of them self-medicate. Yeah. Uh, Some of them don't medicate at all. Uh, How do you maneuver through that? Um, I'm I'm not gonna lie to say it hasn't been hard, you know, at times because, um, a lot of people, you know, don't understand about teaching. There's so many jobs wrapped up in the one. Right? It's not just teacher. It's teacher, psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor, yeah. um, uh, behavior manager. Um, uh, I mean, social worker. Like, if you really going to do the job and do it well, it's all of those jobs wrapped into one and everything. So, um the biggest thing for me, and Jay, you touched on this earlier, is like for a black, when a black male walks in, and a younger black male, right? When I when I walk in the door and that new student sees me, right? It's just for them, it just kind of takes them back. Like, okay, wow, I, I might be able to identify with, yeah. the, with this guy or whatever. He kind of looks like me, you know? He, you know, he sounds like he might talk like me a little bit. He might be raised from where I'm raised from. You know, he's not coming in here acting like a complete square. You know, then he, you know he's gonna lay down some some 
class expectations and rules, but I only do that in the beginning, you know what I'm saying? But after that, I loosen up, you know what I'm saying? I get to, I get my students to know me more. And every time I go in for, anytime I went in for an interview for teaching, right, interview, they always ask, what are you going to do to uh, build your relationships with the kids, you know? Like, or how, how are you going to, they'll say, oh, how are you going to uh, let the kids learn, um, you know, math or whatever? What's, what's going to be your strategies? Uh, just get them to know me. It's like, if I, they, get, they get to know me. They gonna want to learn anything. It don't matter if it's math. It don't matter whatever. Whatever I'm teaching, they, they buy in. It. Yeah, once they, they gonna buy in. Once they, I mean, it's the same like with leadership. Like once they buy in and they love you and respect you, yeah. then they gonna do what you ask them to do. Yeah, because they respect you. Yeah. Like all right, Mister Harris. All right, because like so, K through twelve, I had three black male teachers. Wow. And all three of those was in high school. Yeah, I can. Uh, I, I may have five. And two of them at Cass was a. Uh, History, Mr. Hodges, Mr. Apple, and one at Cody, Mr. Roberts. And, like, so either it was history or English because that's what – I don't know. Is that what black men uh, well, gravitate to? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's typically not math and science because it take a little bit longer for those subjects, and a lot of people just scared of math in but general. Like, so as I look back, yeah. I, I, I never had a black male teacher all the way through elementary or through middle school. Yeah. The male teacher I had, white science teachers – and had like an Italian computer guy or whatever. I had one black teacher up until the point where I reached ninth grade. And then even in cast, if I exclude like coaches yeah. and things of that nature, like shit, shit, maybe another three. And yeah. I, for ele- for middle school, I stayed we went through I went to a K through eight, you know what I'm saying? So like through eighth grade our 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 gym teacher was a woman, which was dope, you know what I'm saying? Whatever. She Miss Tim was the truth. But like we didn't even have a male gym teacher. Yeah. And that's that was my first experience with a black male teacher in school. Was I took football class? I ain't take gym, but and one of the teachers he was my coach. One of the black male teachers went to my church. You know what I'm saying? So like I already knew him. Yeah, don't so it's like it, count all it the don't way. count. So yeah. really, like two, and those are the two that stood out the most. Yeah, in, in real life, like so, I've always been good in writing and and, and composing everything. But literally, that's my. 12th grade English teacher, Mr. Roberts, because he beat that into us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I remember from high school. And Mr. Apple, I think he was my economics, possibly. I thought Apple taught history. He did, but like, some, he broke down. Um, somebody was in there like selling like M&Ms. You know how we do the little things. Yeah. And he broke down like the supply and demand in a way I've never heard it before, never yeah. understood it. And like, that was what, 97? 98, yeah. we 20 years later, and, like, I remember this conversation spot on. And, like, he talked about supply and demand and how all that works. And if you take something out the market, put it back in. And I'm like, that it blew my mind. Yeah. But I don't know. If, he had I, a unique way of teaching. Facts. Yeah. But I connected with it. Yeah, it, right? was, it was unconventional at times. And when you're in a city that's 86% black, when you're in the blackest city in the country – and all your students are black, maybe you need somebody who looks like you to speak to you. Yeah, yeah. you do. And that's all I've been saying. I'm actually going to a conference, um, uh, BM- BMCE conference, I believe is an acronym for it, in October. And it's uh, all black male teachers from around the country um, coming in and talking about this issue in Philadelphia. And right now, I think that, uh, the stats is uh, black male teachers make up 5%. Mm-hmm. Only five percent of teachers nationwide. Only five percent, and 
that's a tragedy. That's you know serious. what I'm saying? Like, that's a tragedy. And and like we're saying, in a city that's predominantly African-American, in order for a kid to buy in so that you can have that teacher that can relate to you in some way. Like with math, and with math is really, really easy. That's what some people don't understand. It's really easy to relate to a kid because everything you doing involves anything you just bought your watch or whatever. Okay, boom, let's talk about the math. You want to talk about Floyd? We was talking about Floyd, right, earlier? Yeah. Uh, when they break down that number, so they say Floyd's net worth is you know, ninety point nine billion or whatever. That's that's a, that's a subject in math called scientific notation, and I I bring that in when first time we talk about that. Are you so if we in the boxing and somebody break down, we well, look at the at the end of the night the final punch stats because here's how many I thrown, here's how many landed, and here's the percentage. Now you doing math and doing fractions, and, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What people they yeah. they they what they can relate to, yeah. which is why I never understood what. Remember in what was the movie Blue Chips? Um, Shaquille O'Neal kept saying, man, this test is culturally biased. Yeah, that was yeah. Blue Chips. Yeah. And I was younger, and I didn't understand what that meant until later on when you give a kid a, a math problem or a word math problem say, Johnny needs to take a train, and the train stops off here and here and here, or somebody, or how many cars does it take, how many times does it take to fill up a gas from a trip from yeah. here to Chicago to from Chicago to this, and Chicago is 200 miles away. Yeah. From a kid who ain't never left out the city of Detroit, I don't got a car. How much do gas cost? Like, you know right. what I'm saying? Like, these concepts yeah. is different. But, when I, but then when I say, all right, uh, and this is, <laughs> this was out of, this was on an episode of, um, what's the LeBron show that was on Stars? Uh, uh, Survivor. 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 Yeah. So, the, the dude was taking a test and had one of those and he didn't understand it. So, my man gave him some drug terminology and shit. He was like, all right, listen, my man got two bags, two yeah. birds, whatever. He need to break this down. And he was able to, Explain it because he explained it in a way I can relate to these items. Yeah. I've never been in on a train from from Japan to Australia or yeah. some shit like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like that cultural portion is definitely a real thing. Yeah, it is. It is. And you got to make the the teaching and the material like we had talked about it earlier. Not all kids are going to learn the same. They're not all going to relate the same. Yeah. You got to make that connection and figure out where those students are going to connect with you as a teacher because yeah. you have a curriculum that you have to teach to. You got test scores that you got to, that you have to teach to, yeah. you know, and sometimes that in, that even interferes with the curriculum itself. So, I mean, you still got to find a way to, to connect and make an imprint and make a difference, yeah. you know, despite all of those other factors that you're forced to deal with. Yeah. The, the, the relationships is a key. I mean, like, like, your question at the beginning, Jay, was saying, how do you navigate right through all of the issues going outside of school? But I could be that one person for that kid, like, that changes their life. You know what I'm saying? And if I do it just for one, like, okay, like I did my part. You know what I'm saying? And, and But I'm going to help out even more. But the thing, some people get overwhelmed with saying they feel like they, they're not doing enough. But if, if, if 20 years down the road, man, a kid comes to you and they're in their thirties or forties, right? And you see, you see him in a grocery store. Oh, Mr. Harris, oh, and they like, I'm, I'm so glad that you know what I'm saying you taught me. You you see him with their wife and their child, you know what yeah. I'm saying, or something like that. You know, you you taught me a lot of things just outside of math, man. Just matter of fact, you didn't even have to say much. I just looked to you for an example. I saw you was married and had a child and saw the things you value. And that that changed my life. Like if I when I hear that, you know what I'm saying. If I hear that later on, like for me, that's like that's it. You know what I'm saying. I, I did what I, I can. Was supposed to. You know, I had a lot of a lot of good teachers in school, but I can remember like the teachers that made like 
and impact. Yeah. I know how to do, you know, multiplication fast because I remember my third grade teacher teaching us how to teaching us how to multiply and it yeah. connected with me. I know how to write a paper because my ninth grade English teacher rolled our ass with that shit. I know MLA style. I know, yeah. you know, now I can help my son continue to be successful with his career yeah. because of the things that were imparted in me at such a young age. You know what, damn, you probably remember this. Uh, another, this is a, a, we had a black substitute at CAD. Mr. Koo. Mr. Koo. I, I knew where you was going with that already. And like, this was the, he broke, so, I only, I don't know, I may be in this class maybe three times, you know what I'm saying? Because he's a substitute, so he just show up whenever. And he broke down the 48. So he was a, a large African-American male, typically. He would wear dashikis. Afri- dashiki African, African okay. guard. He was woke. With dreads. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he broke down. And as a, but before you jump, as a substitute, he had a, he had a presence. He was loud, commanding, yeah. and he wasn't taking no he, shit. He wasn't taking yeah. no shit. <laughs> Not an ounce. Know. But uh, he was the first person that told me about Matt or Matt. He also the forty two negative confessions that you know what I'm saying are, that that the Ten Commandments kind of based like yeah. it, it was just a whole bunch of stuff that he said in a very short amount of time. And he explained like he had some property, he owned some space downtown, and he was like he owned like some parking lots downtown. And at the time, it didn't. It didn't mean much because downtown wasn't what it is now. Yeah, yeah. but like in my brain, I'm like, I wonder if I, I wanted to know where Mister Ku at because he probably raking up with all the that that, that prime yeah, time man. that prime time real estate. But like the the major points in my life that I be thinking back as far as school related and the things that I that I remember, it was typically a black male involved. Yeah, and it's wild that those little conversations and what what and at the time. I wasn't quote unquote woke. I have no idea why these things right. resonate with me now. But when I look back at the things that do resonate with me, it's a very common theme. Yeah. And I think that's connected. Yeah, for sure. So I think you're doing an excellent job yeah. because we know, well, I do personally, but we know your background and where you come from and your set of values. And I think you're doing an excellent job at uh, representing that, representing your parents well, representing. Uh, the family name, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I just think you're doing an excellent job, man. And I can't, I can't wait to read this book, which is actually coming out this week, right? Yeah, well, actually, um, I had to move the date. I moved it to the 25th as far as a pre-order. Okay, um, so it'll be released for pre-order on Amazon. And um, man, I just, I know it's gonna help people, man. So I'm really looking forward to to getting the story out. And um, I feel, you know fully believe um people will enjoy reading i feel like it'll be a, a page turner even though it's not necessarily like you know a, a, a negative story yeah. or whatever or bad is upbringing. amazon the only outlet for the book at this time um at this time but uh in the future i will be making sure that i put out um the you know the audio book um as well and making sure that i put out an ebook and stuff like that so actually at the time when i release it because i'm gonna re- it's gonna be released for pre-order next week but it's gonna be um available for order uh, March 5th is when it's going to be the official release date, okay, which okay. has to be my birthday okay. on so. that day. So that's when I'm going to release it. And um, actually, for pre-order, um, I'm going to be using uh, each pre-order that's made. I'm going to be taking $5 for each pre-order, and I'm going to be donate, donating that um, to the Sickle Cell Foundation because September is sick, Sickle Cell Awareness Month. Okay, And so, like I mentioned earlier, when my wife has sickle cell, and um, it's a blood disorder that predominantly affects 
African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to diseases that kind of affect African-Americans, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, cancer and all that. You know what I'm saying? Yes, a lot of people affected by that. But when it comes to a lot of things that affect our community, it's not as much resources or funding and stuff that's poured into it. Or research. Like, as a matter of fact, a lot of people, when I say Sickle Cell Awareness Month is September, that's their first time ever hearing it. And the color is red for the awareness. So I'm going to be taking uh, each pre-order $5, and we're going to be donating that to the Sickle Cell Foundation. That's excellent, man. We need to make that as popular as pink is in October. Yeah. That's something that directly impacts us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um I was first introduced to Sickle Cell when I was a uh, my music teacher in um in elementary school had it and she ultimately uh passed from it in middle school and like we didn't we ne- we didn't know what it was you yeah. know what I mean so it made us look into it and I'm like why does it only impact black people like I don't well predominantly like ninety eight percent it's yeah. it's a it's a redu- the the numbers are are way it's an improper fraction yeah definitely. <laughs> Uh, so that was that was interesting. And I didn't yeah. know that September was the awareness month. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate that. So so it's just available on Amazon. Is there a website? Anything up yet? Um, yeah. So um, right now on uh, well, as far as my social media account, if you want to follow me, everything is uh, the David D Harris. Um, so T H E E David D Harris. So two R's, um, and that's on my Instagram. Uh, I have a Facebook page as well. I know nobody really uses Facebook anymore like that. At least when I tell the kids, I say Facebook to my students, and they're like, why are you saying that? Yeah, why are you saying Facebook? That's the old people. Like I just said, Black Planet or something, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) or MySpace. um, But I do have those two social media accounts, and then my website is um, www.dharris.com. And so all the information is on there. You can go learn more information about me. Um, book me for speaking engagements as well, because uh, next year I do want to start a tour um, as uh, talking about family values in different schools. Okay. Um, uh, and not just schools. I don't think. Um, also, I think businesses can benefit from my message as well, because uh, for businesses that want to get to the next level and are not quite knowing why it's not getting there, or they're having too much interpersonal issues and relationships between coworkers, well, it's because everybody in there values something differently, right? Mm-hmm. Like one of the coworkers might value treating others how you want to be treated. So they're not going to eat somebody's lunch, you know, and then <laughs> somebody else in there didn't, didn't have that value going yeah. up. So they're going to come in and see something in the fridge and, and go ahead and it's, pull it. You it's know funny that so, you mentioned that because yeah. that goes on a lot goes in offices. For real. Listen, it really goes that, on. You see the email to go out to the entire <laughs> staff, like whoever took the such and such <laughs> out the fridge. Hey man, we, we got cameras in my break room <laughs> and, if you eat somebody's lunch, that's a term that's a terminable offense. <laughs> no, I'm I'm dead serious. Man. They will they will pull if I t- if I say I bought in some Papa Romanos and somebody ate it yeah. and they pull the tape and they catch you eating it, <laughs> you're done. You're done. That's the end of your job. Yeah, man. That so and that's what I'm saying. I you might assume that everybody has the same values, but you don't, you don't. because everybody's family origin is different. Everybody started from a different place and all of us have different values. So I, I, I want to actually also go into businesses, no matter how small or how big, and say, hey, we have to collectively create values that we all kind of uh, follow and then I think the businesses can run a lot smoother as well. Yeah. 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 We got something similar going on. <laughs> yeah, we do. We'll we do. In. Soon come. Soon come. Yeah. Um, and give me your social media one last time. Man. Oh, so social media on Instagram, again, everything is the David D. Harris. Um, again, that's T H E E David D Harris with two R's. 
Catch me on Instagram, also my Facebook page. And the best way to really find out what everything is going on is catch me on the website. Um, that's when I, I have a tab for the pre-order for next week. All you got to do is click the tab, but it'll take you directly to the uh, Amazon page, and you can order from there. Perfect. You got a uh, – is it time for, for my music pick of the week? Yeah. I don't think I gave one on Friday. It didn't count. Okay. My music pick of the week, man, it's, it's two artists we're very familiar with, T.I. and Meek Mill. Uh, I was kind of on the fence about new T.I. music because I just hadn't believed in him in a while. But I think he got a, I think he got a banger on his hands where Hefe, Hefe is the name of the song. T.I., Meek Mill, my music pick for the week. I don't know if T.I. got a project upcoming. Maybe he does, and that's why he's starting to drop you know, music. But I'm interested. He got my ear right now, so I'm interested to see what may come of it. Um. Okay, I, I, I'll check it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get it connected to the to when we post the episode. Um, you know, I totally forgot about Who Man's <laughs> this week. Uh, so listen, I can easily do the Who Man's is this uh, for the week. I do have a Who Man's is this. Uh, have you been keeping up on the Trayvon Martin documentary? Yeah, man, it's it's hard for me to watch. Uh, like I tell myself every time I see it come on, I'm not gonna watch it, and then I do, and I'm just I'm just more angry. Yeah, man. So it was a, it was a a, a segment that I'm gonna play. Like I'm gonna insert it like right here. Uh, so it's a segment on there where he, so he's out signing like Confederate flag Zimmerman. Yeah, George Zimmerman. He's out there like signing Confederate flags and you know making experiences, signing Skittles. Skittle you know what I'm packets, saying? Shit man. like that. Like. He need to catch a bullet. You know what I'm saying? That's just how I feel. Catch it somewhere. I'm not gonna be the one throwing it, but you should you should catch it. You know, what for I'm all saying? the crazy shit that happens in Florida, I'm just I'm remiss that somebody ain't ran up on him yet. Yeah. So it's not George who exactly getting who man's this because like, come on, we already know. But in the documentary, it was a gentleman who was talking, and he was like, um, talking about the Confederate flag, and he was like, well, you know, well y'all just heard the clip, but he was talking about like, well, you know, it doesn't. I know a lot of people think it's racist, but it really has like another meaning for our heritage. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't mean just that. And yeah. from the Civil War or whatever, and the Civil War wasn't just fought over slavery. It was fought like over a whole bunch of other things, you yeah. know, but people get that misconstrued. How so, do you wave a flag as a loser? But you lost the Civil War. So after he said all this, he was like, so the, the, the producer guy, he leaned over like, what, what are the other reasons that the war was fighting? He was like. I mean, well, I'm not a historian, so I can't really go. I, I mean, I, I don't know all the other reasons. Like, so and he was like, well, you know, like bigotry and things of that nature. He was like, like slavery. <laughs> he, yeah, like slavery. Like, who man's is this, fam? You want to you you trying to you on a documentary trying to defend some shit. And he asked you one simple question, like, "Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know about all the extra stuff, man. Get the fuck out of here." You know, man. I'm, I'm a huge football fan, especially college football. You don't, you don't lose the game and plant your flag at midfield. Like, you, you have to win. Fact. You got to win before you. Like, if you go into enemy territory, when if Michigan beats Ohio State in Ohio. And they plant the Michigan flag in the middle of the field. That's because they won. You don't mm-hmm. do that shit when you lose. People wave the Confederate flag like they won the war. I'm not a historian myself, but I know you lost. Fact, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, why why is the flag such a, a huge inspiration of pride to a war that you lost? We know what time it is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
you can beat around the bush. We know what time it is. We know what you mean when you say it. Like, I might as you might as well just just be a bold racist. I mean, you know. I mean they they bold out here. Unfortunately, the the climate, you know, I <laughs> the climate is for real out here. Trump has has got a lot of y'all feeling brave. But don't let your bravery get you shot in the face. Facts. <laughs> you can catch something. I'm not yeah. throwing it. I'm not throwing don't it. Don't let that bravery get you shot in the face. Uh, is it time for the Benny? It is, man. All right, man. Dame going wild and everything that matters. Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. No Facebook because that's, that's that's for old people. I won't get that out. <laughs> but, but Twitter, IG, and Snapchat, you can get at me. Uh, I got Facebook stock, though. It does good sometimes. Uh, Jay Johnson 313 on um, everything that matters. Most importantly, go to the website, shoptalkpod.com. That's a dope Black Panther shirt you rocked this week. Man. Uh, yeah, like it is. The West Side T'Challa. And I watched Black Panther fly for the ninth time yesterday. It's on Netflix. I'm glad it's yeah. on Netflix. And I'm surprised oh. like Netflix didn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah, like, they just snuck it in there. I, just, like, I was literally just you know, searching for stuff one day. I was like, is, is and it Black on, Panther? And they didn't put on the main page. No. Nah. And when you type it in, you got to put Black underscore p-a-n before it finally pops up and shit you know what i'm that saying makes no sense they whack on that shit i support like it was a huge movie like why wouldn't you tell people that black panther is on netflix right now you know what i'm saying yeah. so i didn't watch it like i watched it on netflix two different times i've probably seen them i don't know how many times i've seen the movie my hotel room had the tvs you could connect your netflix to the television okay so that's all i watched because did they didn't hook it th- yeah i did because they had no premium channels in my <laughs> hotel not one. I didn't even have HBO. Yeah, man. Um, shoptalkpod.com. Also, follow Shop Talk Podcast, Shop Talk Podcast Studios. I'm not saying read a Rockefeller podcast, but we are Jane Dame. Hell yeah. Peace.